The following presentation of the Midland City Planning Commission will begin in a moment. The Midland City Planning Commission is responsible for overseeing the city's master plan, conducting public hearings, and offering recommendations to the City Council on a wide range of local land use issues. The Planning Commission consists of nine Midland residents who are appointed by the City Council. Planning Commission meets two Tuesdays per month at 7 p.m. in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at and Uverse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to the regular meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission taking place on Tuesday, September 27th. This meeting is called to order. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. Please call roll. Fields? Here. Decoro? Here. Mayville? Here. Bain? Here. Panasic? Here. McCoy? Here. Broderick? Here. Collinger? Here. Craig? Mr. Chair, you have a quorum. All right. First item on our agenda this evening is approval of the minutes from the previous regular meeting held on September 13th, 2022. I believe there's already one revision, correct? Uh, that's correct, Mr. Chair. Under old business uh, 6A. Uh, the original version of the minutes as included in your packet indicated that there was a public comment period and there was not a public comment period since the public hearing was held at your previous meeting. So those have been uh, struck from the minutes as uh, provided to you on the dais tonight. Good reminder for the chair as well. Chair, make a motion to approve the minutes as uh, amended. I second. We have a motion from Commissioner Panasic and a second, I didn't hear. Me from Commissioner Fields um, to approve the regular minutes um, with the revision. Uh, all those in favor say aye. 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 All those in, uh, opposed, same sign. Minutes are approved. Next item on our agenda is, a, uh, is our public hearings. We have one public hearing this evening. As we're getting ready um, for the staff presentation, a quick reminder about our public hearing process. Uh, we'll begin with a staff presentation and overview of the petition. Then we'll invite the petitioner to come up and present. Then we will open it up to the public for comments or questions. Then we will give the petitioner the opportunity for final comments and rebuttal. We will then close the public hearing and go into deliberation and possible decision by the Planning Commission. So uh, first and only public hearing this evening is conditional use permit number 79. And with that, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Mr. Chair. Uh, so conditional use permit number 79 uh, the applicant is Elaine Zielinski. The location is 4215 Stonegate Drive. Uh, the zoning for the subject property is residential B multifamily. The proposal is for a single family dwelling uh, addition. Looking at the subject property, uh, Stonegate Drive is a private road off of Perrin Road, just north of North Saginaw Road. Looking in a little further, uh, we can see the subject property here, single family dwelling, 
and the applicant is proposing the addition in the rear yard uh, where the existing porch is located. Uh, to the south is a funeral home, and to the uh, east and west sides are other single-family dwellings, um, and then to the north is also single-family dwellings. Looking at the zoning for the subject property, uh, you'll see that it's in RB, multiple-family residential. Uh, office surface is located to the south. Um, residential one or single-family residential is located to the north, um, and then the east and west is multi, multiple family residential. Taking a look at the future land use, you can see the medium density residential for the subject property, uh, which matches the current zoning. Uh, we have low density residential to the north and then commercial to the south and office service um, as well to the south with higher densi density residential to the west. So this is the location that the applicant is proposing a, an, an addition to their single family residence. Currently in RB, multiple family residential zoning district, uh, single family dwellings are allowed uh, or permitted with the conditional use permit. Uh, so you're seeing this tonight since they're adding onto their single family residential um, dwelling, uh, this addition that's essentially warrants a conditional use permit. Uh, this is an elevation looking um, from the southwest corner of the property and then from the southeast corner of the property. Uh, Non-discretionary standards. Um, all applicable provisions and setback standards within the zoning ordinance have been met. The site plan is compliant with all applicable standards in section 27.6a. The applicant, uh, again, is proposing to construct a 16-foot by 12-foot addition to the existing single-family dwelling. Uh, regarding discretionary standards, uh, conditional use permits um, allow for an evaluation of subjective criteria. Uh, staff has found that the development meets all of the subjective criteria. Uh, the proposed use would not be detrimental to the general welfare of the adjacent parcels. With that, no contingencies are included in the staff recommendation of approval. And we have received one public comment uh, in support. Tonight is the public hearing for conditional use permit number 79. If the planning commission follows their rules of procedure, uh, a consideration should be made on October 11th um, and then headed to city council to schedule a public hearing on October 24th for November 14th to hold the public hearing at City Council. And with that, I'll entertain any questions. Mr. Smith, questions? Yeah. Bye, James. Do uh, such additions require a basement or do, uh, or does this have a basement, do you know? The, this uh, addition does not have a basement. Okay. It doesn't, there's, there's no and requirement. And there's no requirement for a basement? No. Okay, thank you. Other questions? All right, thank you, Mr. Smith. We'll go ahead and welcome the petitioner to present. We'll just uh, need your name and address on the blue mat here behind the podium.
Not a trap door, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> nice slides, Mr. Smith. Good thing I dusted. I didn't realize you had all those pictures. So, good evening. Uh, my name is Elaine Zielinski, and my husband Paul and I live at 4215 Stonegate Drive in Midland, Michigan. As you know, we are requesting a building permit to construct a three-season room at the back of our home and fix our adjacent deck to the proposed room. We complied with all the requests the city has put before us, and I even submitted an application for a conditional land use permit with a check for $225. Everything was going along smoothly until the first day of construction when we were told we had to stop the project because we were considered Zone B. Somehow our home, along with 12 other single homes, were Zone B, which is a multifamily housing. We are being asked to follow additional procedures which do not pertain to our house and is causing additional stress to what was supposed to be a positive experience. Well, it's positive construction can be, you know how that goes. <laughs> As I understand, there are two homes that were recently grandfathered in under the single family home status and that were allowed to go ahead and do their construction. This was not an oversight by the powers that be, but the proper thing to do because it followed the rules for single family housing. I am asking for you to please expedite our permit which should be an easy process if we were zoned correctly under the single family rules. I would like to start up construction under those guidelines before that fourth season is here and we can't use the room. When you are dealing with an ill spouse, your life has enough stress in it and your time is controlled by doctors at Mayo Clinic. Asking us to understand that we have to go through a lengthy procedure because we are mis-zoned through no fault of ours is heartbreaking and illogical to say the least. Please issue us some type of permit which would allow us to begin construction in October and you then can proceed to what the state requires for you to correct our zoning regulations. We are not asking you to bend the rules, just follow the rules for a single family housing as you have done before. The people in the association do not have a problem with our plan to build a three season room. The funeral home behind us is sheltered by a seven foot concrete wall and they cannot even see our home and we believe they would have a, no problem with it because they've proven to be excellent neighbors. Very quiet, by the way. <laughs> Thank you for your time, compassion, and logic. Allowing us to proceed under the single home zoning is the right thing to do. Thank you. Thank you, Lane. If you stay up there for just a couple minutes, we'll see if anybody has any questions sure. for you. Questions, commissioners? All right. Thank you, Lane. Thank you. Uh, we'll go ahead and open the uh, public comment um, and or question. Uh, if you have any, please step forward, uh, blue mat again, and name an address. Good evening again. <laughs> I'm Gary Schaefer. I live at 4208 Stonegate Drive, and I'm the president of the Stonegate Condo Association. And uh, last week was a house. This week it's an addition, and I think the next meeting it's a, a, a little shed. <laughs> so right now I'm trying to decide whether our condo association is the most popular one in the Midland <laughs> or, or the most picked on. If it's the most popular, we have two lots that are built for you <laughs> and we will we'll work with you to get a really good price. You know, if there's ever, I'm sure the people that wrote this law in 2005 had no intention of creating the, the headaches they've created for our association. and. Uh, I guess my question to you is, do you have a plan to do something about this? Because it's certainly <laughs> the law of unintentional consequences. And, um, you know, it's really, really hurt the provost, I think both in time and financially. 
uh, Elaine and Paul need to get this thing started before the weather. I look at the date, final dates up there, November 14th, and I'm a deer hunter, so I know how many guys, <laughs> how many construction workers will be available for about a week there. But uh, you know, I want to repeat: we've had, with the exception of lots one and 22, we've had a plan for only single-family homes since 1996. And we redid our, redid our bylaws here this last year and did not change that. And there's certainly no intention of us allowing any you know, multifamily homes in the last two lots in there. And with, they're neither one of them practical for it to start with. But uh, I'm here to just let you know we support that. We've already approved all three of these things in our bylaws, which we have to do. And uh, if there's any way you can let them get started a little early. Uh, you know, I understand the, the need to follow the law and everything, but sometimes we need to use good common sense too. And I appreciate your time. If there's anything we can do as an association to help, we'll be glad to do that. So uh, we work with you in any way possible. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Gary. Other public comments or questions? Any other public comments or questions? Uh, go ahead and close the public hearing. Um, Elaine, if you would like to come back up and say anything further, you may. All right. So we'll close the public hearing, and we will go into deliberation and possible decision by the Planning Commission. Um, to Gary's question, um, we will be considering something later this evening that's a possible solution to, um, or a longer term solution. Um, it will not unfortunately help um, any of the three applica applications that we have seen or are going to see. So that's the best answer we have at this point. Um, but back to conditional use permit number 79. Um, I'm looking first and foremost for a waiver of our rules. Yes, James. Yeah, this is James Spain. I move we waiver rules of procedure and uh, take action on this tonight. I second. Okay, I have a motion from Commissioner Bain and a second from Commissioner McCoy to waiver rules of procedure and consider it this evening. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. We will consider it this evening. Mr. Chair? Yes. I make a motion to approve conditional use permit number 79. I second. We have a commit. Uh, a motion from Commissioner Panasic and a second from Commissioner Fields to approve conditional use permit number 79. Mr. Kane, will you please call roll? Fields? Yes. Decoro? Yes. Mayville? Yes. Bain? Yes. Panasic? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Collinger? Yes. Mr. Chair, that motion passes 8 to 0. All right. So we move their timeline up two weeks, correct? Unfortunately, with the oh, way no. the council calendar falls at the end of the year, the waiving of the bylaws doesn't really change their timeline. It does get it to council faster for introduction, but ultimately it'll still be heard at the November 14th council meeting. All right. That is your next date. All right. Uh, we have no more public hearings on our agenda. Next item on, the, on our agenda is old business. I am not seeing any unless any commissioners, anything else they'd like to add at this point? All right. Uh, any public comments unrelated to items on the agenda? 
public comments unrelated to items on the agenda. Next item is new business. We have two items that are new business this evening. The first is a, a revision to residential B single family dwellings, correct? Correct. All right. Mr. Chair, so just to give you a quick overview, um, as noted uh, in Mr. Smith's presentation this evening, currently in the residential B zoning district, it's one of our two multiple family zoning districts. Single family dwellings are considered a conditional land use. Um, this is a change that was implemented in 2005. Uh, at that time, the entire City of Midland zoning ordinance was um, amended and a new, a new zoning ordinance was adopted. Um, prior to 2005, um, the City of Midland did have a residential B zoning district that was a multiple family district, but up until that time, uh, single family dwellings were considered a use by right, a principal permitted use. So they didn't require uh, special zoning approval in order to be built. Uh, subsequently, uh, Stonegate Drive and other areas of the city that were zoned residential B were developed prior to 2005 uh, with a significant amount of single family housing. Staff has reviewed current land uses within the district and actually found that the um, majority current land use within the residential B zoning district is single family dwellings. Um, we have about uh, 1,800, it's almost 1,900 acres of land in the city or zone residential B. Um, that's a little misleading uh, because a great extent of that is the Curry Golf Course, Midland High and uh, Dow High Schools. Those are in the residential B district, huge sites um, that constitute a big part of that. Um, however, looking at the parcel level, we have 826 parcels out of 1,620, so just shy of 51% that are single family dwellings. So. Um, for that reason and many others, staff feels that it would be advisable for the Planning Commission to entertain an amendment to um, the residential B standards to move single family dwellings back to the principal use permitted list and off of the conditional um, land use list. I, my, my suspicion, and it's impossible at this point to validate <laughs> um, from the process in 2005, but my suspicion is looking at prior master plans of the city before the lands that are RB and newer residential development. Um, so there's Stonegate Drive and there's a number of other places in the community that are residential B that had single family dwellings built in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Those lands were marked as multifamily on future land use maps going back to the 60s and 70s. So my, my guess is that the planning department probably looked at the single family development happening in those areas and thought, this isn't what we wanted. Our future land use is multiple family. So this is an opportunity to make it more difficult to build multiple or single family in those areas. Um, it certainly should have been a, um, a hindrance. Um, the Planning Commission has seen nine applications for conditional land use permits for single family dwellings in the residential B district since that change went into effect. Um, all of those have been approved. Um, and so just, uh, Frankly, we don't have a great deal of vacant residential B land in the city, and I would be inclined to recommend that if the market calls for single family dwellings in a particular area, that the market will sort that out. And if there are areas that are currently single family that the market says should be multifamily, being in that RB district will permit that to take place. That will happen organically as the market dictates. Um, and in the interim, the 826 property owners that have single family dwellings in the residential B zoning district will be and the vast majority of which do not have a conditional land use permit. So we have nine out of 826 that are, <laughs> that are legally conforming to the code. So the other, um, why am I trying to do math? The other 817? 
I'm a planner, not a mathematician. The 817 property owners that do not currently have conditional land use permits will become legal conforming uses as a result of this text amendment if approved. So staff's looking for support to bring this back to you at your October 25th meeting for public hearing so that we can move this on to council and hopefully have this text amendment adopted before the end of the calendar year. Mr. Chair. All right. Questions? James. Yeah, uh, kind of a question and a bit of a comment is that I think on that number five where you made the edit, I think you should put duplexes in there as well because, you know, Stonegate I think has a couple. Uh, my neighborhood is one of those that is uh, RB and across the street it's very largely single family, but there it, it is mixed in with a couple duplexes. And uh, related to that, uh, you know, I am strongly supportive of giving them that kind of relief because if they had a fire or anything, you know, they you know rebuilding would be another uh, you know hurdle for them. But I think uh, a lot of the areas near me have the odd duplex mixed in and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong but technically that's not a single family use Two family. and they should be uh, afforded I think the same protections uh, as the other ones. That's correct. Uh, Two-family dwellings are currently listed in the RB district as a permitted use with special standards Yeah, which is essentially the same as a permitted use is just subject to um, it's permitted by right as long as it meets those special standards. So would they have to go through a uh, if they wanted to do an addition, would they have to go through a, a conditional use permit? Not as long, no, because it's not on the conditional land use list. Okay. So, so as long as they continue to meet the special standards that apply to two-family dwellings, and those special standards apply to two-family dwellings in the RA4 district as well. Okay, yeah. Those are special standards that would apply across the Yeah, and just longer term when we're looking at the plan, uh, there are some neighborhoods that are RB that have been uh, there probably 50 or 60 years with single family houses and the odd duplex and we should probably consider maybe they should just be rezoned uh, uh, you know RA4 because they're they're pretty much completely built out uh, and you know it might just offer the neighborhood a little bit more integrity if we were to go that route but that's not related to this as long as the duplexes are covered uh, that's uh, my main concern. Secondarily, is has this been discussed with the, maybe the housing, uh, you know, our housing development authority or that organization? It is not. What's your concern? Well, my concern is if if there was a if they have an agenda for uh, you know expediting multi-families are we at cross purposes of that uh, I can't really see how in a built-up neighborhood you know because uh, you know I don't think the Midland real estate market is such that they're gonna tear down perfectly good uh, you know single-family homes to you know build a multi-family but uh, uh, you know, to the, uh, you know, to the extent we don't want to step on, uh, uh, you know, getting in the way on undeveloped land uh, of, of 
you know, more dense housing, uh, that might be a consideration. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating that. I was just asking if the uh, group with re responsibility for advocating that would, uh, has weighed in. Well, I think the key for me is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, we're not precluding more dense residential from happening yeah. in this district. We're just allowing, by right, single family in addition to that, correct? But if you start sprinkling in single families, you've in, uh, you potentially, uh, like they said, you know, the, the way the lots are now, you're not going to put in an RB. You're not going to put in a true multifamily dwelling, uh, uh, you know, because you know, it's surrounded by single families and single or double lots, you can't really put in a apartment complex. So that, 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 that's what my concern is. And again, the data tend to indicate that, wait a minute, you know, it, it's uh, by and large developed single family, uh, you know, homes. And, and certainly for those, I'm in favor of that especially as a stopgap to looking at what should really be RA4. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm a little bit torn as to, personally I support this, as a member of the commission I support this, but uh, you know, I don't want to step on anybody's uh, you know, other thoughts in their area of responsibility is where I'm coming from. I don't think we're going to cross currents with the Housing Commission. Do you agree? I think if anything, um, so in terms of the approval process that exists yeah. today, these are more or less on a level playing field because uses that have special standards are not subject to a conditional end use process. It's, it would be a site plan review for multiple family development. Um, single family generally doesn't have to go through a site plan review, yeah. but if you're building a new neighborhood, if you were taking a significant acreage off the market yeah. for multiple family, you likely would have some sort of public process. I think the bigger discrepancy in the playing field is the rules, the special standards that apply to multiple family. Right. And I think at some point in this master planning process, the Housing Commission will be having a conversation yeah. about that because there are elements of those rules that do create obstacles to creating new housing. Um, yeah. that it, it, may, it may be worth considering down the road as we yeah. look at the zoning ordinance, some amendments to those standards to make sure that they reflect yeah. contemporary needs and expectations and, and enable okay. a variety of development types that aren't necessarily um, the way the current rules are written, which really are designed for suburban apartment complexes not infill density, yeah. not walkable urbanism. They're really designed to promote um, large scale yeah. apartment complexes. And frankly, uh, with the exception of a newly annexed property into the city, uh, primarily on the outskirts, we don't have that type of large parcel available for large scale multiple family within the city any longer. Yeah. So it does create a huge obstacle in a way that it, those rules really didn't when they were written because yeah. there were large lands available to build that type of housing. Well, there are three or four going in in my neighborhood, right? There's the one we looked at, uh, and, you know, off, uh, was it Franklin Park off of, uh, of them? There's a uh, possibility of things going on where the East Lawn School used to be, and there's one possibly behind the, uh, uh, you know, post office. So there is, you know, potential land there. And I could also see where the 
without speaking for them, the housing authority might say, well, gee, these neighborhoods with single families and an RB, you know, we want to preserve that as well. I, I guess maybe a way around this is this has to go to the city council anyway, right? It would, yes. And is, so they'd have a... Public hearing. They, they'd have a public hearing, they'd have an opportunity. Yep. Uh, would it be appropriate for you just off to the side to let them know what we're doing, you know, uh, uh, and I see the chair of the Housing Commission more than I see any of you, honestly. Okay, so, <laughs> so yeah, as long as we're very not slipping <laughs> something through, yep. uh, and uh, as long as we don't view this as the ultimate solution to, you know, protecting some of the single-family neighborhoods, you know, this is a good stopgap, and and it corrects a, what I think is probably an oversight well, or something that's no longer. Yeah, I had what, what it should be. I had a similar potentially related concern, again, not specific to this, but since we're talking about residential B and we are doing a master planning process right now, just I think what I heard you saying too was do we have enough RV multiple family residential in the master plan to begin with? And if we do, is it in the right places and being done yeah. in the right way? Um, so kind of a separate issue for me as we talk more about the master planning process, because if we've wanted more residential B, uh, development and we're not seeing it, then that's mm -hmm. something that you know we should and can be addressing during the yeah. master planning process as well. Yeah, I have a complementary concern. It's coming from established neighborhoods that you know before the change uh, are definitely either some sort of single family or at most duplex, and you know I, you know I'd like to give them freedom of the hassles to go about their business and also some protection from uh, uh, you know encroachment of RBs if their neighborhood is in fact uh, RA4 or, or something like that. So, so I, 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 I think we've gone on long enough um, for this. Uh, I think the other question I had too was um, I guess whether or not this in Midland is whether or not Midland's the exception or the rule when it comes to these type of things as far as looking at zoning ordinances across the rest of the state. Is it, is it abnormal for a zoning ordinance to have an exception for single family in RB multiple family or? Most zoning ordinances of the type and age of the city of Midland zoning ordinance. So this is a very traditional approach to zoning where you have a large number of districts that are very specific about uses. Uses typically more or less kind of overflow into the, the from the lowest density into the higher density. Okay. So usually what you see is like we have in Midland, you have a you know, neighborhood commercial, community commercial, regional commercial. What's allowed in neighborhood commercial is generally allowed in community commercial. What's allowed in both of those districts is generally allowed in regional commercial. Um, you know, RA one, two, three, and four, a little bit flatter, but you have everything that's allowed in RE1, 2, and 3 is also allowed in 4 with the addition of two-family dwellings. Um, so that's very typical. And the way this was structured under the previous zoning code of the city of Midland was like that. The RE district allowances flowed into the RB as uses by right. That is the most common approach in this situation. I think to, to jump back to some of the earlier commentary about land availability for multiple family housing, I think one of the challenges that zoning ordinances like ours create is because it's hyper-specific about what can take place where 
and, and uses are very separated, you, you do create an artificial scarcity of opportunity that doesn't mm -hmm. have to exist. It certainly can exist if that's the policy will of the city, but just as an example, the city of Midland has many, many acres of regional commercial property, which is a good thing because our master plan calls for having services available near where people live. So to that extent, that's a good thing. But I think we all know com commerce is changing. The retail environment is very different today than it was when this ordinance was written and certainly very different than what ordinances like this started to be written. And so those are opportunity areas where the city could rethink its policies and permit housing as a way to bring more people to shop at the businesses in areas where you know, you're not creating conflicts with existing single family neighborhoods by and large. Um, and you might reactivate some sites and I'm, we can all, I don't have to name them, we can all think of where those <laughs> sites are in Midland, sites that haven't seen a lot of investment or activity and they may not because there just may simply not be a demand sufficient to see them reused under our current zoning rules. So those are the kind of conversations I hope we'll have as we move into the zoning audit portion of the master plan process, assuming you all support the work plan that's before you <laughs> under the next item. Um, because I think those are the type of opportunities that exist that we're not currently taking advantage of um, in the community that could help to really expand opportunity much more broadly than any potential. And I, I will grant, I, I think it's a fair point and I think the more I have sat on this issue and, and, and ruminated on it, the more I think it was intentionally done. I, I, do, I don't think this was an accident. I think that this was a result of the, the planners at the time seeing how development had taken place and going, this is not according to plan, so we're gonna stop it. Um, and for better or worse, I think that's what they elected to do by amending the code. Um, so anyway, I, I think there's merit to that, but I think there's a much bigger opportunity on the other side of the equation okay. in the long run. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, I, yeah, I will go to the next meeting with this, correct? And so I'm in uh, support for the reasons for these types of uh, situations that have popped up. But are there any unintended consequences? It seems like you've thought about that a bit and you just spoke to the potential intent of when this was put in to maybe try to force more density in certain parts of the city and by doing this you've really opened up that can be all single family uh, so yeah. unintended consequences just kind of think that through i guess sure i mean from my perspective i think that is the main um, risk is yeah. that single-family development will take place on RB land and that RB land will not be available for multifamily development. Um, I think from my perspective, uh, looking down the road, I anticipate that there will be other policy changes that will help to more than offset that, that downside risk. And the upside potential here is so great to improve the, the legal status of 826 homes, <laughs> or 817. Um, I think, I think more than outweighs that benefit. The only other downside risk or, or unintended consequence I could envision is, as we all know, um, homeowners feel a lot of pride in their neighborhoods and can sometimes be um, threatened by new development. And so having a large number of single family homeowners in residential B districts may result in opposition to multifamily housing, even though it's in fact a multiple family district. Um, I'd, I'd like to trust that the, those of you here now and in the future making those decisions would be wise enough to understand that 
that's what the district's intended for and, and to permit those developments to move forward in accordance with the rules at the time. But that's the only other okay. downside risk. But frankly, that horse is kind of out of the barn. 51% of the properties in our view are single family. Right. So whether we change the rules, whether this rule is adjusted or not, the reality is that probably the next 50 years, the majority or nearly the majority of RB lands are going to be majority single family. Yeah, so there's a mismatch currently uh, with the RB, with what's in there. And I do like what you talked about, kind of the direction for some potential uh, commercial land and what might happen in the future with master planning. So I think we can look at having more dense areas, another route, so that's the other side of the equation. Because we're, de we're dealing with an unintended consequence right now from the previous change. And that Correct. Got, I mean, it's a small number, but it's, exactly. it's still significant around there's some yeah. things that are allowed at this point. Sorry, James, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, just on the other the side of that, uh, as you indicated, a lot of these neighborhoods that are completely built out should probably be rezoned to RA4, you know. If, if that's the only thing on there and they're completely built out, I mean, you know, that to me just says, and, and we've talked about this, I don't know if it was online or offline, but uh, as we move into the master plan, I think some of these, uh, when they draw the maps, they're took broader swaths than they probably, uh, looking back, needed yeah. to. Because if you look at where the RBs is, you know, in the city center, it's a, an awful lot of that. And, uh, and, but, and there are some natural boundaries between the true, uh, uh, you know, multifamilies versus the, the smaller homes. I think you can see if you look at if you look at the map that's included in your yeah. packet and you see where those newer RB areas are located, like Stonegate Drive, um, the the principles of our the the way our zoning districts are organized. If you read the purpose, mm -hmm. they often talk about providing that transition. And so, if you look at Stonegate Drive, yeah. and, and Ms. Zelinsky pointed right. out, she backs to a commercial use, and so that the RB is there to transition to the RA. Yeah. I believe it's RA one that's to the north of Stonegate Drive. And so you can see where the intent at the time that this was right. mapped out from a future land use and zoning perspective, it was meant to provide that, that transition. Now, I, again, I think it's illustrative of a question I have, which is are, how essential are those transitions when you've got happy homeowners on Stonegate Drive that are butted up right against commercial along a commercial strip um, that I don't want to speak for them, but. Um, mm -hmm. They seem happy. There are people building new homes there that back up to that commercial area, and they're single family. So I think it's you know, not everyone has any takes issue with that, um, and not every area maybe needs that transition uh, from every use. So just further planting some seeds for later yeah. conversations that I yeah. think this situation has really highlighted for me at least um, some of those uh, contradictions in our code. And I'm personally becoming increasingly convinced that um, more complexity is not helping us accomplish some of the goals we've heard <laughs> from the community. So in general, less complexity, whether it's in specific instances like this or more broadly with things like the master plan, is something I'm becoming increasingly convinced would be a good thing based of, of what we're hearing. So. Yeah, I, I agree. When I looked at this, I was like, really? <laughs> Any other comments? Uh, we do need to formally approve this, uh, or I'm sorry, recommend this to City Council for approval 
Um, Tonight's not your public hearing. So oh, this sorry. is just being introduced to you to, I will leave it to the Planning Commission if you want to make a formal motion, but I just wanted to make sure there was consensus that there was interest in this amendment mm -hmm. before we set the public hearing. And we would do that for your second meeting Got in it. October if, you're, if you concur with that proposal. Any concerns? Just that also gives you time to talk to somebody in the housing group too, to to see if they they got any history there. I'm happy to. I'll, I'll give Sharon yeah. a call. All right. The next item underneath new business is the city modern work plan. Thank you, Madam Chair, or Manager, Mr. Chair. Um, mm -hmm. One of those things, seven years of <laughs> one chair, kind of get used to. So Ryan and I have put some thought into how we reinitiate our city modern master plan process um, and, and establish a, a reasonable but aggressive work plan to get us to um, adoption. Um, you'll recall that uh, back in October of last year, almost a year ago, uh, the Planning Commission received uh, the outcomes from what was then known as the Imaginate Phase, Phase 1 of the master planning process. And during that process, a significant amount of public engagement occurred, um, which I've outlined here, 23 stakeholder meetings, six surveys, five uh, Midland Moves events, and the project website and newsletter were launched at that time. Um, the main outcome of that was um, the identification of focus areas for um, the master plan process moving forward. Those were shared with you and they were also shared with council in November of last year. So we're really moving into, um, you know, less of the uh, big picture kind of brainstorming phase and into more of the nuts and bolts of a plan, which is ultimately, you know, most master plans have a lot of interesting information, but the, the heart of the plan is the implementation. So what are we going to do for the next several years? What, what do we need to be working on? And so. Um, to kind of get us thinking on that, we have outlined a work plan. Um, one of the first things Ryan and I talked about was, you know, what are we, what does this work plan need to accomplish? And so I, it's been uh, clear to me since uh, I began working with you that having ongoing collaboration with the community is really important to everyone. Um, and so we've worked on some ideas on how we might do that. Um, and those are included in the work plan. So uh, the first idea we had was to do some pop-up planning studios. So what can we do that's low cost? Uh, it's relatively low effort for us. It's relatively, it's almost no effort for the public um, to be out in the community, not just at City Hall, not just here in the chamber, to reach as many people, as many different kinds of people as we can around the community. And so this idea of a pop-up planning studio where we go out monthly, to a different location that's public and give people a chance to interact with us, share their ideas, their concerns, their thoughts, learn more about the process, if nothing else, to make them aware that this is taking place. Um, secondly, we have a great tool in the eCity Hall um, function uh, here at the city and we hope to take advantage of that to provide people with a more formalized way of continuing to engage and provide feedback. And we're actually looking at possibly um, using that for the first time with all of you. Um, uh, later this week in order to get us uh, prepared for our special meetings uh, going into next month. Third, obviously we do want to have some kind of formal components of this and so we're looking at 
um, around three open house events, which would be more traditional, um, to really just kind of report out where we're at in the process for folks and to give people a little bit more um, extensive opportunity to provide feedback than the pop-up planning studios would provide. Um, you know, maybe have a, a little bit more interactivity um, than we'll be able to um, squeeze into the corner of a coffee shop or wherever we might set up for those pop-up planning studios. Um, obviously, we'll continue to utilize the city's fantastic communication um, outlets um, to continue to build buzz. Um, we kind of have we realize, I, from my perspective, we have some work to do to get the momentum going again with the planning process. And so we've had conversations with our communications staff on how we can effectively do that, um, while also recognizing that people's attention spans are limited and there's a lot going on. And we want to make sure that we can break through that noise and, and get some, some good engagement. Um, finally, um, and you know, probably one of the most complicated parts of this process with any master plan is there's a number of other plans and documents that exist out there that we have to in some manner honor reflect on make sure there's consistency in our planning efforts with those documents I've outlined some of those in the memo and so we've been inventorying where those documents are talking to the folks that are sort of the um, keeper of those documents or the champion of those documents to make sure we understand where they're at with implementation and if there's any things that they want to see changed moving forward in those areas that this plan can reflect so we don't want to grab a plan from 2018 or 2016 and say well that's probably still true we know a lot's changed since then so we want to kind of get a snapshot of where we're at today um, Ryan uh, will give all the credit to uh, Mr. Smith is helping us to leverage some great outside resources in order to sort of add some uh, extra depth to our planning efforts. Um, first, we were selected to engage in an uh, electric vehicle smart communities program. This is something that the Michigan Municipal League is working on um, to help increase electric vehicle readiness and infrastructure around the state. And so we were excited to take advantage of that. And Ryan is taking the lead on working with us. That program will enable us to workshop ideas with other communities around the state and give us some great recommendations on how we can be smart about electric vehicles in our in Midland. Um, and then secondly, as you all uh, know, the city is engaged in the Redevelopment Ready Communities Program. We've been engaged for, I think now, um, going on uh, six years. Um, one of the opportunities we have with that program is to take advantage of some of their other programs. And they're doing a pilot program for sustainability and resilient communities. Uh, Midland was one of two communities selected to be in that pilot program, the other being the city of Marquette. And so we've uh, recently started working with them on some self-assessments that will help us to uh, ensure that the resiliency components of our new master plan are as strong as they can be. So bringing some outside expertise in to really make sure we can um, we don't miss anything. Um, and then finally, um, you know, the planning process is great, it's important, it's fun, but it's meaningless if we don't implement the plan. And so we're already talking about how can we get momentum for what comes after adoption of this plan. Uh, a little presumptive of us perhaps, but we hope that we get and assume we'll get to adoption at some point. And we want to be ready to start working uh, as soon as possible. And so some of the things we're proposing in the work plan will hopefully enable us to be um, not just make a plan for what additional plans we need to make, but make a plan for some tangible actions that we can start taking um, as soon as adoption or perhaps even before adoption. So if we identify issues through this planning process, if the planning commission feels like there's urgency behind any of those issues, 
Um, you have my full support to begin working on things that we've identified um, as we move forward. So we've included the work plan. We've also responded to your feedback from last, um, your last meeting in terms of um, how we will handle discussions moving forward through the year. Um, I had conversations with MCTV staff. In order to make this process as easy to understand for the public and as transparent and to make production of the meetings um, as smooth as possible, and, and I recognize, and I will tell you, MCTV staff wasn't asking for uh, us to modify our plans for their benefit, but we do think it's important that the videos of these meetings be available as an archive of the process so people can keep tabs on what we're doing and so there's some accountability to the process. They felt that, and, and I agree, that having a special meeting with a, its own agenda with a, a six o'clock start time that will wrap before your seven o'clock regular meeting will help us to catalog those meetings separately. It'll make the process just a little bit cleaner. So we're recommending that we hold special meetings at six o'clock on the dates identified in the memo. The first of those would be your second meeting in October on October 25th. Um, that is asterisk subject to change. Uh, obviously, as we move through the year, but I did want to get some dates in front of you now so that you can look at your schedules and make sure that you're available for those dates. So, uh, Mr. Chair, I would welcome any questions, comments, feedback on the proposed work plan. If Planning Commission is supportive, um, we are um, excited to, I'll say, get started on the work plan. We're excited to. We're hoping we can continue working on the work plan as we already are, uh, frankly, because in, in order to meet these deadlines, uh, it's an aggressive timeline. We, we need to be working already. So leave it at that, Mr. Chair. All right. Questions, comments? Gabe? Just one real mechanical question. What exactly is a zoning audit? So a zoning audit um, is it's really two things as we conceive it. One is taking a look at our code and comparing it against best practices today to see what changes we might want to make. And so those could be things like um, organizational changes to the code. So having somebody who's not familiar with the code, you know, tasking them with finding answers in the code and giving us suggestions on, you know, it was difficult, easy to find this, difficult to find this. It would have been simpler for me if I'd been able to connect the dots. Um, it involves things like, you know, electric vehicle, infrastructure okay. really not addressed in our code because yep. it wasn't an issue in 2005. <laughs> and so um, finding those items that, hey, our code either may have some antiquated items in it that we don't need to regulate or emerging items that we need some sort of reference to, even if it's just making it clear okay. that they're permitted. Um, Energy is a big one. So that's something we've already talked about internally and we may start some cleanup efforts on that sooner rather than later. Um, but that's an example. And then finally, uh, we've conceived of doing a stress test. So talking about what kinds of development do you all want to see in the community? What kinds of development are we hearing from the community that they want to see? And can those things actually be built? So you know, taking in a, it could be in a hypothetical property. It could be a tangible example to say, you know, if, if uh, mm -hmm. somebody came forward and they wanted to build 28 units of multiple family housing on this vacant lot in Midland, could they do it? Uh, and if so, you know, great. And if not, why not? And it can help to identify barriers that the code's creating to what the community wants. Um, on the flip side, there may be things that the code allows that the community's telling us they don't want. And so we can also look at that and say, you know, what could you do there? And 
you know, gosh, maybe there are some things that you can do that we don't want you to do. Um, and so that stress test is just, in my experience, a very uh, tangible way of seeing where your code may be failing you. Um, because for better or worse, folks often, they're not going to bring a proposal before the planning commission that can't be approved. So they may not even come to city staff. They may look at our zoning map. They may look at our zoning ordinance and say, you know, I wanted to build a multifamily project here, but it's commercially zoned. I can't do it. I'm not going to waste time with the zoning process. I don't have the time, or it'll get denied. Um, and so you never see those projects. So this is a way to kind of test those, those projects okay. out. OK, so it's not just looking at the zoning map and, and saying, oh, this doesn't make sense. No, and so the, the future land use map is really the time where we'll be talking about future zoning for the city. Okay. And that'll be, is conceived at this point as a separate part of the process okay. um, where we can sit down with the map, talk about transportation and land use. Um, I'm recommending that we do that more or less together because those things yeah. are so interrelated that it's really, you can't talk about yeah. one without the other. Um, that would be the opportunity to have, like our conversation earlier tonight with RB, in that mm -hmm. district, are there places in the community where that multiple family district no longer makes sense? Are there places in the community where it should have been that it's not? And to do that for okay. all of our future land use categories. Okay, thank you. I agree. Uh, the work plan, I, I like what you generally outlined here on the first point of ensuring ongoing authentic collaboration with the community and key stakeholders. Uh, I assume that's as it says, ongoing. So we need to have some early hits with the community on some input up front. And also later on, once we have ideas formulated, go back and check, you know, hey, does this look like we're on or not? What do we need to do to course correct? That sort of input. So it's not a one-shot thing. Multiple shots on goal leads to more goals. Absolutely, and so, and to that point, the pop-up planning studios, we intend on starting those next month, assuming there's support tonight for the work plan, and to continue those monthly at a minimum through the end of the planning period. So we'd be okay. doing 12 of those in total, uh, likely at a minimum. Um, this is, and I should note, the work plan, This there will obviously be other conversations about the plan. So we didn't outline every conversation that will be had with every group, every individual. I expect there's going to be many, many conversations with other boards, with other nonprofits, with leadership around the community um, that will be in addition to the things outlined here. But we thought that by having both um, the regular, uh, you know, the unplanned interactions with the community, um, you know, frankly, most people in the community are not going to be tuned into this process unless we go to them. And so trying to reach people that wouldn't ordinarily be part of our process by being really intentional about picking distinctive spots. So we have a, we have a, a business identified for October that we plan on setting up our pop-up studio in that, you know, it's not in a part of town where you necessarily would normally have a city meeting. And so we're probably going to catch a lot of people headed to work or school. Um, people that would generally aren't the kinds of people that come to public comment, frankly. Um, they don't have the time. And so we're trying to be thoughtful about that, about getting out and getting to older people, younger people, um, people who are busy, people who, you know, of all walks of life. I think that's a good idea. And so you're going to move to different parts of the cities, different neighborhoods. and We're aiming for geographic and demographic variety. So trying to hit different geographies of the community, 
trying to hit um, different times of day, um, different population groups, so that we're you know definitely not in our planner bubbles. I mean, I, I I'll own for myself, and I I think you know Ryan and I pretty much swim in the same like <laughs> sea of things. We're of a certain type of person, and so you see certain things. Um, so we're trying to be really deliberate about reaching as many people in Midland as we can. Obviously, okay. anybody in Midland can participate in the surveys. Anybody can come to Open House. Anybody will advertise these events. So it doesn't have to be by chance. We're not going to show up and surprise everybody. That's <laughs> right. not the intent. It's to just be like, oh, we're at Live Oak Coffee House today. We didn't yeah. even tell them. We're just here. Um, whatever we do, we'll be advertising in advance to the community. So if somebody wants to seek us out, they certainly will be able to do that multiple times. But we're also hoping that we just will organically run into people who are like, oh, dude, what is planning? You know. <laughs> What okay. does this mean? And that this will give us a great opportunity to explain why this has relevance to their lives and to see what they care about. And it may be that they don't really care about anything. They're just glad to know we're doing it. It may be that they're really passionate about crosswalks or <laughs> rain, you know, rain events or you know, paint colors. Whatever it is, we're happy to get the feedback. I think it will help us to keep on course as we move forward. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, so if there's one in my neck of the woods, I could potentially... Uh watch it be there yeah well yeah anybody is welcome to attend those if anybody I, the way we've conceived the the more formal open house events would probably be the best chance for planning commissioners to come in and observe um, I would I would caution we don't want to have to notice these as official meetings so we're not necessarily looking to have a mm -hmm. quorum present for the whole time but certainly um, if you want to drop into one or more just to see what they're like. Um, they're open to the public. Bring a friend, <laughs> if you're gonna do that maybe, that would be a good way to get, or a family member, um, some fresh perspective That's a good idea. introduced as well. We're really looking forward to it. I mean, we spend a lot of time at City Hall, and so opportunity to be out in the community. Um, we understand we're probably gonna get feedback that won't feed into the plan, and that's okay, but we can share that with our colleagues if it has relevance to other things that the city does or other entities in the community. Well. Okay, and resilience is going to be a big part of this. I, 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 I'm pretty sure it will. Okay. Uh, when Mr. Elson's the SA, he can confirm. I think that's going to need to be a critical component of our master planning process. Um, you know, the challenge with that, and, and frankly, you know, um, you know, I'm stepping into a process in the not quite in the middle, but still, there's been work done. Um, and so I'm trying to honor what's taken place because there's a lot of good things that have taken place. And I'm also trying to pivot to my own way of doing things as well. Um, the theme area is the challenge that I'm having. And so we may see those evolve as we move through the planning process a bit. It's just sustainability and resilience covers everything. Yeah. And land use and zoning kind of covers everything. And so breaking these into discrete topics is a challenge because there, there's relationships between them. And so I think you'll find as we begin to, to ask you all for more in-depth feedback on these topics, it's challenging because you go, well, I have a thing to say about housing, but it's also about sustainability, and it's also about culture, and it's also about the beauty of the community, and so where do I put this? Um, and I don't want us to get too bogged down in thinking about how do we sort these things into their respective place. But there's also some benefit to having an organized conversation and not one that's just, what do you want for Midland? That's a really big amorphous, you know, or what is resilience? Um, so we're gonna try to navigate that and I think allow that to 
not try to micromanage that process too strongly to see where this process takes us. And if it takes us to a place where these three theme areas still make a lot of sense, great, we'll build the plan around it. If we end up in a totally different place, at least from my perspective, I'm okay with that. And we can build the plan around what we learn in this process. So a little bit of uncertainty maybe with that aspect, but I think that's exciting. Yeah, that's and, okay. And I think they're conversations that the community is anxious to have. There are conversations that are already taking place, but this on resilience, I think that's something that there's strong community support to talk about what we need to do as a community. I am, I'm, I'm imagining that this has been covered already, but with the meeting starting at six, do we have maybe some sort of a plan to advertise those a little heavier to the public so that we get some people there for them? Because we had a work session um, previously that we had, you know, we convened or we started it a bit earlier and then ended it right before seven o'clock and we did have people in attendance, which I think helped a lot. So the meetings will absolutely be noticed in a manner that any other planning commission meeting would be noticed. Um, I would say I, our publicity efforts will be focused primarily on the events where public input is Crucial. sought. Okay. And given the 45 to 50 minute window these special meetings will have, um, frankly, I'm a little concerned about the nine of you having sufficient opportunity to <laughs> engage. I, I, there's, no, there's no way to have yeah. the substantive conversations that need to be had in those meetings and also have significant amounts of public input during those meetings. So we're trying to create something else. Create, there's going to be more opportunities for the public to engage in this process than for you all to do that. Got so it. I'm trying to keep those special meetings as kind of sacred as I can. Having said that, part of the reason why we shifted into this, this mode for the meetings is so that they're not happening in a closed room, so that they're not happening off TV, so that the public can watch, the public can certainly be here, the public can provide feedback at any point after the meeting. Certainly this process, as aggressive as we're trying to be, is still a slow-moving process. So there's going to be lots of time to say, hey, I heard this at a special meeting of the Planning Commission and I want to add to that conversation in some manner. Um, but I would caution you from turning those meetings into just a public input right. session. And I had a, another question that's almost not related, but is there a way for, um, even in the televised meetings, can people comment in real time? So if they're watching the video, is there a comment section? There's not, uh, going back to hybrid meeting style where there would be a, a Zoom function. Um, I don't believe that there is. So I in mean, current state, if someone did have a comment, they would just send it after watching the video. They would, yeah, just submit it. I mean, we do have a specific email address for the master planning process. Okay. And certainly anybody could provide correspondence directly to the staff, to the planning commission as a body, or through any of our normal channels. Um, I suspect we will, um, for folks who want to do that, are generally very willing to do that. Yeah. So we may hear through you know Facebook posts about events. We may get some feedback that way. Okay. Um, I only want, I think um, people, I think you mentioned the attention span earlier, and I think people, as soon as there's a barrier, they're no longer going to participate. So they watch a video and there's immediately a comment section, they tend to leave one. Versus if it now requires an additional step, then sure. we may not capture that feedback. But I don't know how much we're missing either to sure. make it worthwhile. Well, the way the, um, yeah, that's a great question. We can certainly look into that and see if there's a way to facilitate that to make it clear that if people have feedback. We can also just make a, a note to be very specific about 
referencing how people can provide input at our special meetings. And um, I don't want to, again, I don't want to take up too much of that meeting on other matters, but we could certainly highlight upcoming input opportunities and hit those really hard so that folks who are watching know when those opportunities are um, so they can take advantage. I think there's a reason to have comments be moderated also. So, you know, and I think realistically it probably wouldn't look like a comment section but more like a like a chat function that's immediately there or maybe like a click to email because that makes like when you're watching you can also be typing and then you know what I mean people tend to be I think a bit I've just seen people be very deterred by any barrier especially with something that it's like well I mean it's the city and maybe what I have to say isn't relevant and whatever I think people just sort of move on but at a minimum, you could have a at, at the meeting end on the TV. They could just say, "Hey, for you know, for feedback, here's an email address." Yeah. That that kind of greases it without. You know, you, I'd imagine existing technology can accommodate that. Yeah, I don't want to make a presumption yeah. either way. So I'll ask that question. And I'll find out what what we're able to do. Yeah, that's a great point. I had a yeah. similar thought around. I don't want to presume about the technology, but even just having, to your point, I think like a slide that comes up in between, you know, the cut segment of uh, mm -hmm. of the city modern and this, like having a, hey, here's the email address, here's the East City Hall link, whatever it may be. I mean, I, personally, I would actually, if we can, take it a step further. I mean, if we've got a piece of video, um, I come from a marketing background, that in my profession is key. As soon as we have that piece of content, you can put that out in any number of ways. You can put in a social media post that has a link um, right. in it at that point. Like once or you that have has the a built -in video, comment section at that point. That's the biggest barrier, just getting the video in the first place. Once it's there, there's like multiple purposes for it at that point. So that would be my um, my encouragement. I think the other thing I, I've heard from multiple people that has been a concern for mine too is that we've we've got a bias as a planning commission, right? There's nine of us, um, and we're somewhat representative of the community, but overly representative. There's a bias of the people who actually come to these things. There's a bias of the people who come to these things and actually give comment. So um, just recognizing that for one, but then actively trying to, as much as we can, not necessarily work against it, but try and bring other people into it. Um, I know it's why we set up the participation subcommittee, so if that would be helpful. Um, I mean, that's why it's there. Um, in my opinion. Um, so I, I just appreciate what everything's been said because I think that's going to be, as I've thought about it more, I think that's what the barrier has been with public participation is that there's just kind of a group of people who tend to come to these things. And the more that we can at least give other people at least the opportunity to participate, um, I think it's going to make the process better. Greg? So uh, Jacob, on your next steps, I concur that we should move forward and let's get going. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other question I had is that you said aggressive scope, or I should say large scope, aggressive timeline, wanting to restart momentum. Um, does, I mean, does city staff and otherwise resources, like are there enough resources, city staff and otherwise, available at this point? And what else do you need? How else can we help? I mean. I appreciate that question. <laughs> um, so we, we've had that conversation as well. And given our time frame that we'd like to work within, and our capacity internally, um, we do think that we can best produce this document with our staff resources. Um, you know, frankly, sometimes consultant management um, <laughs> is okay. more trouble than it's worth. Um, and we really want to, to get some momentum, knowing that there's, you know, downstream of the master plan, we have a number of policies that 
the community is anxious to see tangible change with. And so we don't want things right. held back behind a planning process. Um, and so, but I, I, that's why we've attempted to leverage as many outside resources as we have. Certainly we won't be shy if we feel there are opportunities where you all can help through this process. And I want you all to feel included in it. Um, but I also don't want to respect that we're asking of, uh, of you several additional hours of your time over the next 12 months um, already. And so that's why we're here and why we're paid to do what we do is to make sure this stuff gets done. So the biggest thing you all can do, frankly, is to continue to provide open, honest feedback to us as staff so that we're sure we're meeting the targets you're looking to meet and to share this information with the people in your network so that people know that we're doing this so we don't get to the end of the, the process and have folks say, well, I didn't know we were doing a plan. That's definitely not something we want to hear. We probably will no matter what we do, but we want to be able to tell those folks, well, you should have heard because here's all the things we're right. Yeah, my concern was just that, and I'm assuming this would be the case, but again, in my experience, um, having a, uh, a large scope is great. If it's resourced appropriately, then the quality won't suffer, but it does tend to be kind of non-negotiable. Um, if one of those things suffers, it's because there's a lack of something in another area. So, uh, um, and I, so anything we can do to help, I think we'd be all for it for that reason. Appreciate that. And that was the other, I think the last, I don't know if it's a comment or a question, but the focus areas that you have there at the outset, the last thing I want to do is, you know, retrofit a structure or a process on a foundation that wasn't purpose built for that structure or process. So I'm not assuming that's the case, but I just didn't know how foundational those areas would or wouldn't be to what we're going to be doing going forward. That's a great question. Um, I would say somewhat. Um, and in looking at that and attempting to conceive of this next goal setting step, there were, there were obviously some missing pieces okay um you know th this is this is good feedback this I, I the way i would frame what has been received to date is is maybe more priorities than being an inclusive list of items that need consideration on a plan and certainly a plan is going to have things that are high medium and low priority um, and that all need to be included within it and so we've tried to broaden the conversation a bit so that it's a little bit more, um, that it recognizes that this is meant to be a community-wide plan and not just a zoning plan. Um, this is meant to capture a lot of different issue areas. Um, and so um, you will see um, to um, your generous offer of help, uh, one of the first things <laughs> we'll be asking you to do is to complete an E-City Hall survey that will help us to understand where each of you are in terms of goal setting around a variety of issue areas. Um, and I will forewarn you, it's a big ask, um, but this survey will help to inform our conversations for our first three special meetings and, and beyond. And so um, I apologize in advance um, for the homework um, in the next couple of weeks, but it is really critical homework. Um, and I would ask you to remember why you're here. You are representatives of the community that have volunteered your time to do this work on behalf of the community. Um, a very busy, very active community that has a lot of other things they're working on. And so you may wonder, well, should I be, you know, we want to know what you think. You're here to represent. And so um, that's going to help us. And we're excited about how we're structuring these special meetings at the outset to give you guys an opportunity to not just sit at the dais, but to be up moving around, to be engaging with the topics, to be learning each other's ideas um, and responding to them. Um, I think that's going to be extremely fruitful. 
And that's going to help us give something tangible to go out to the community with so that we're not just going back to the community 12 times saying, what do you want Midland to be? Because yeah. people don't know what to do with that. We're going to take some, some substance to them and hopefully get some substantive uh, responses. All right, so we've got a next step to your point, Greg. We've got homework and then looking <laughs> towards the first special meeting on October 26th, correct? Uh, October 25th. Yes. Second meeting in October. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Commissioner Fields still has a question. Oh, I sorry, go ahead. I'm good. Sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? I think the final thing I will say is um, so that link will be with us tomorrow, the day after tomorrow? I hope by Friday. Communication staff has the um, information to build the survey. And um, I'm hoping that that will be done. As soon as we have it, we will send it out to everybody. All right. But I would look for it by the end of the week. All right. So my ask to the rest of the commission and what I'm going to commit to doing is getting that survey done in time for our first meeting in October. And I would um, ask if the rest of the commission would do their best to do the same. Is that reasonable? Yep. All right. And I'm going to strap in because I'm excited and ready to go. Kind of a long <laughs> process ahead of us. And the other key here, too, is that you've got a calendar through June, but then it's going to take from June to September to actually formally adopt it, correct? That's correct. So the adoption procedure is, is fairly lengthy. Um, and of course, that's to provide opportunities for public input, which frankly, we hopefully won't need. Because um, <laughs> that's the worst time to get public input because the plan is already more or less done. So we're attempting to front load that, but we'll still have those statutory requirements that we need to meet. And so that um, you know, our objective was to have this plan buttoned up by around this time. I mean, essentially our target date is yesterday a year from yesterday. Okay. So. All right. Very exciting. Um, anything else in our new business outside of what we discussed? All right, we'll move to uh, the rest of our agenda. Um, communications, I'm seeing none. Uh, report of the chairperson, I have none. Um, any report of the planning director? Not tonight. All right. Um, we have two items for the next agenda at this point, correct? That's correct. Well, we have a zoning petition for property located on uh, McDonald and Ashman Streets. This is southeast of Main Street. Um, applicant is looking to, uh, the property is currently downtown zoning with a downtown overlay. They're looking to remove that downtown overlay. So it would just be downtown zoning. And the site plan review for 6000 Jefferson Avenue, which is a five unit multiple family development. All right. <laughs> Um, in the RB district. I was going to say, will we add the RB district there for a public <laughs> it's hearing? in the RB district. We'll yeah, be, we'll, we'll be have a more complete def, uh, agenda item. For the text amendment. Oh, um, that will be on your agenda on the 24th of, or uh, 25th of October okay. um, because of the public hearing notice requirement. We're Got passed it. when we could get it published in time. All right. I'm looking for a final motion. I move we adjourn. All right, we have a motion from Commissioner Bain and a uh, second um, to adjourn the meeting. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. Meeting is adjourned.